Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. It's bonus time for Digital Voices. This is a bonus drop. And really excited about this particular drop because I'm with one of my good friends, Chris Ross. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Ed. Great to be with you. Thanks. So I think everyone knows already, but Chris Ross is the CIO at the Mayo Clinic. And when I was at the Cleveland Clinic, obviously, we were peers, and we've known each other for quite some time. I think, Chris, we served on a board together maybe 10 years ago for EHIGH. Yep. And yep. I think I was like, I, I was like, man, that guy is really sharp. And so I tried to follow Chris ever since then and really learning a lot through the other way. things he's done. <laughs> so it's been great. So usually we talk about digital voices from either a patient, payer, provider, pharma, uh, biotech, retail perspective. And this bonus drop is a bonus drop because it's none of those precisely. What it is, it's from a patient perspective, but also an executive perspective. So Chris and I have several things in common, other than the fact that we're handsome, and <laughs> we're both laughing there, and um, <laughs> right, you can't see us, but we both have very similar hairstyles, and the, <laughs> the other thing is uh, we're both cancer survivors, and so we're going to talk about the patient and executive perspective, digital voices, talking about cancer. And the other thing we're really thrilled to announce is the book that we are writing together and being published by Mayo Press. It will come out, Chris, I think, uh, in time for him, of 2022. Yeah, yeah, March of 2022. Yeah, March of 2022. So we're really excited about this book. All proceeds from the book go to... The Mayo Clinic, uh, specifically, we're going to earmark for cancer research for the eradication and the destruction of cancer. Uh, so we're really excited about this book, and that's what we're going to talk about. So let's uh, jump right in. But Chris, I always ask everyone the same question when we start off, and what's your favorite music? Like, are you just chilling or what have you? Like, what kind of music do you like? You know, there's I've got two, and I'll say they're both kind of uh, verbally oriented styles of music. So uh, don't don't judge me, but I've been a long time uh, opera season ticket holder, and I just go mad, you know, sitting in the audience <laughs> listening to to to, to uh, opera. But my second real love is rap music, and I listen to it pretty extensively. So opera and rap that would make you a Hamilton. Yeah, and maybe. Uh, you know, it's interesting. My, uh, 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 my one of my daughters is particularly attuned towards opera, and she loves Hamilton. One of my other daughters is particularly attuned towards rap, and she doesn't like it at all because it isn't authentic <laughs> enough. So, you know, I split the middle. I like it. Yeah, I, you know, I finally figured Hamilton out. So I'm embarrassed to admit I've seen it a couple times on Broadway, and it just moved so fast for me. I just didn't keep up with the entire story yeah. other than I knew the broad story. So the other day I was working out, and so I put on the closed captioning or the you know the captioning capability, and now I fully understand it and love it even more than I did before. So cool, big Ham, big Hamilton fan right here. Okay, so that's interesting. I think you're our first guest uh, with opera, uh, so that's awesome. We've had I think we've covered every genre, uh, and it's just always interesting to 
they hear what people like to listen to. So that's really cool. Plus the rap. That's what makes it doubly interesting is the opera rap. Okay, so let's jump in. Let's first, Chris, let's both tell our stories, uh, a short version of our stories, given the time frame that we have for the podcast. But tell us your story about your journey with cancer. So I began to develop some symptoms in the spring of 2018, and I had had uh, gut problems through my life for whatever reason. I kind of, you know, put it off. I had had a colonoscopy, but it had been a while. Um, I really wanted to get through a launch of Epic at Mayo that was happening uh, that spring, and um, had a colonoscopy and bad result that um, discovery that I had a stage three colorectal cancer. And that was diagnosed in July of 2018. Um, I went through the full Monty, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, two surgeries. And um, I was working a little bit part-time through that journey. But for the most part, I was just attending to my care. And I emerged uh, cancer-free in March of uh, 2019. Um, had one subsequent surgery, and I was back to work June 1st of uh 2019. Um, it was, um, you know, a remarkable journey where I learned a lot. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, you know, Ed, as you mentioned, you had, uh, we had done a couple of events where we spoke about our journeys. And I think we both have a high sense of conscience and, and commitment to making things better. And we had agreed to write this book. And um, before we had sort of nailed down all the details, um, uh, in February, I, uh, I messaged Ed and said, I got news for you. Our book just got better. And the reason is that I had been diagnosed with a recurrence of the same cancer um, in mid-February. And so I kind of went from cancer survivor back into being a cancer warrior again. Um, as we're recording this right now, uh, I have had four rounds of chemotherapy. I'll have the fifth on Monday. Um, I'll do eight rounds of chemotherapy. I'll do 15 rounds of radiation therapy, and I'll have surgery this summer. And, um, you know, both times the team has said that your prognosis is good. We're going to cure this cancer, um, and I, I believe them. Um, the cancer that's recurred is, is nearly identical to the first one, except it's growing on the outside of my colon rather than on the inside of my colon. Um and uh, the, the team's been great. Um, I feel privileged to work at Mayo Clinic and have since day one. It doesn't even begin to match the sense of privilege that I have of being a patient at Mayo. And yeah, I know I sound like I'm promoting Mayo and there's fantastic health systems around the world. But when you find a place that can treat the whole person and to try to meet them where they are as a person and connect that to how the system works, it isn't perfect, and you know we'll talk about some some findings we have, and I have my aggravations just like every patient does from time to time. But without personalizing it just to me, I will say for those folks who've had an opportunity to be cared for in a system that treats the whole person and really tries to integrate care, it's a humbling experience. So yeah, keeping my eyes open. Second time through the journey, I'm seeing some details I didn't see on the first time through the journey. Yeah, I'm sure. So for me, my story picks up where your first part of your story ends. So it was June 10th, 2019, so shortly after yeah. 
review, uh, that I had heard the dreaded words, you have cancer, right? So I had watched my PSA levels for about four years, and I noticed that they were increasing. So every time I had a physical, I would see the PSA level increase, and I'd talk to my PCP about it. And this is one of the learnings from the book we're going to be talking about as well, about owning your health. And the PCP didn't seem too concerned about it. You know, I, I was doing a lot more bike riding, so a lot of time on the saddle or seat, as they call it. And so it's not unnatural for riders to have higher PSA levels without having cancer. But anyways, we watched it for a while, and it kept getting higher. We started doing blood tests quarterly. It kept getting higher. But, you know, it really wasn't until my wife got on my case in another mm-hmm. position, not my PCP. So I said, okay, you know, so we had this new test come out at Cleveland Clinic using AI. It was uh, called an ISO PSA test. So it's much higher accuracy. And so I took the test, and it was like June 9th. And so June 10th, I walk into my office at 6.30 a.m. The chairperson for the Urology Institute, Dr. Klein, is sitting there in the lobby. And I knew, we didn't say any words, uh, Chris, I knew yeah. what was happening. He follows me to my office, you know, and I don't want to get all teary-eyed or anything here, but, you know, you have cancer. So that afternoon, I got a very uh, intrusive test done for, to determine uh, taking a biopsy of your prostate, and the results came back a couple days later that we all knew, you know, but now we do the severity, and there was really only one thing to do, and that was get rid of the prostate. And so... Uh, within, within about a month, I had prostate, a prostatectomy, so the removal of the prostate. And, uh, and then uh, we did another test of all sorts of things, and indeed I was free and clear of cancer. So I was thankful, like you, Chris, to be in an organization like Cleveland Clinic, you know, having all those resources. And that's another thing we talk about in the book is you don't have to be on the AO or a Cleveland Clinic to do some of the things that we're going to talk about and talk about in the book. Uh, and also for the, for the patient. So if a patient who doesn't happen to be working at a health system or in healthcare, what they can do to really take charge of their health, no matter what sort of organization they're working with. So let's flip that into sort of the why of the book. So imagine a lot of people would say, and I'll start off with this one little thing, Chris, and then, and then get your perspectives on the why of the book. But you know, if you look out there, some people have written about patient experience before. It is good stuff. We're not we're not writing this to say our book is better. Ours is just way different. So the books that are out there are good, and they're really from the perspective of someone who's in charge of patient experience at a hospital or health system, and what they think theoretically is some good things to do, some good principles. And in fact, we'll probably talk about some of those same things and same principles, but that's definitely not sort of the focus or heart or perspective that we write the book. So if Chris, someone asks you, hey, Chris, why did you write this book? Yet to be titled, maybe by the time this pod drops with the public uh, <laughs> state, statement, uh, we'll have a title, but for right now we don't. But how would you answer that, Chris? Why write this book? Yeah, uh, Ed, you have it exactly right. And, you know, we're not trying to be definitive, but we think we got, you know, an angle on it. Part of it is... Um, for me, it's a it's it's our personal stories to a large degree, and so, you know, when I think about what's needed for a successful journey through care, it's necessary, but not sufficient that you own your own journey, and I mean that being if you don't own your own journey, you're going to have a bad uh, outcome and a bad time, 
but if you depend on others to own your journey, you're also going to have a bad time. So I think at the center of it is what's your personal mission towards how you want to address uh, your care? And then I think we've got ideas that relate outside of that. So then, you know, maybe if that's the the kind of the yolk of the egg outside of that is maybe what does your family and your support system do? You know, what's your tribe? And beyond that, what's your care team look like and how are they engaged? And and you can go out and out and out to the biggest questions of health equity and health systems. But, you know, at the core, I think it's really what is your individual journey and where, what meaning do you want to get out of this bad diagnosis? You can't change the diagnosis. The only thing you can change is how you respond to it. And I think, you know, there's hopefully some heart to go with the head along with this. And I'm sure we're going to talk about ways we think that systems could be better from the perspective of a well-informed patient. Yeah, so really what we plan to do in terms of the why is exactly what you just described, Chris. And then out of that, now that framework that you just shared will be a playbook. And so it's meant to be a really practical guide. So it's really meant to be two things. One, from a health system, hospital sort of leadership point of view is this playbook. So again, you don't have to be the Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic to make these things happen. Uh, we believe that uh, anyone can certainly take many of the steps that are outlined in the book, but a playbook. So if you're not really sure on the patient experience, the patient journey, you know, this will really help you make sure that you don't miss anything. And it'll give you a lot of food for thought. In fact, at the end of each chapter, will sort of be checklists of different things that you can talk about as a, an executive team or a team responsible for patient experience. And on the flip side, again, on a personal level, as a person reading this, as a patient reading this, the same sort of thing, very practical, like, did I ask about this? Do I have access to X, Y, Z? So really practical and really empowering the patient, right? Because Chris, like you're pointing out, sometimes the patient uh, in today's society, we are we look at the clinicians, and appropriately so, there's a ton of respect, but we look at them as the final authority, and, and I think we have to be comfortable challenging that a little bit. We're taking more responsibility on ourselves and not expecting this person uh, to be the final authority, but really, you have to, it's your life, you've got to live it, you've got to take control. So it's, so that's the why, right? It's the, yeah. both from a personal point of view and, and as a more of a profession point of view. Yeah, that's right. I also think it's the case that um, getting a rough diagnosis, we both sort of told our stories. I was maybe a little bit too lightweight about it, but, and Ed was, uh, you know, Ed, you were more authentic, but this is disorienting uh, to hear yes. you have cancer or you have a, some other really significant or serious health condition. You know, you start addressing all kinds of issues that we're not really great at, at dealing with. And, um, it may be helpful to have a spotter. Um, how do I know if I'm on track or if I'm off off track? And we're not trying to write the definitive patient guide, but you know maybe someone might um, you know hear our experiences and figure out how to adapt it for their own personal circumstances. Yeah. So as sort of a, a teaser, so people get a sense of what might be in the book. I'm not. We're we're making these uh, the the plot up as we go. So this is not fully scripted. So. We're not saying that the teaser we're about to give you is the best one in the book. You'll have to read the book or listen to the book to find out. But Chris, both of us will answer this question. Like maybe one thing that changed us on a personal level, like how we might think differently, do things differently, and one thing that 
we brought back to our organizations that we are incorporating. Maybe it's already happened, or it's in the process, or, or a philosophy that's starting to really change the culture of the organization. So I'll let you go first. One personal and one sort of health system. Well, for me, I think it was uh, it having to address my mortality. It may sound really simple, but, you know, it, to me, it's the analogy of, you know, if you're in an airplane at 35,000 feet, you don't even notice that the plane is moving. And maybe I didn't notice where my life was at. And then all of a sudden, you know, a window blows out and the cabin depressurizes and people are screaming and vomiting. Well, that's kind of cancer care, screaming and vomiting. Um <laughs> And it just brought home for me that I needed to think more deliberately about what did I want to do in the next 10, 20, hopefully 30 years of my life. Um, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, do you want to do the personal ones first for both of us? or you want yeah. To go? yeah, go. Yeah, I'll jump to my personal thing, and then we'll go back to Chris with uh, how maybe the organization has changed. So for me, I call it my stag's leap moment. So Chris, I know you know this is my favorite winery. Uh, based out in uh, Sonoma someplace. And uh, so I love Stag's Leap. It's, it's uh, not super expensive, but anywhere from, you know, 35 to to $100 bottle of wine, depending on what, what uh, type of grape. And, you know, I would save those only for very special occasions. So if you came to my house, you noticed the wine rack. I had a lot of what I'll call value brand wines. And then I had my Stag's Leap. And only, you know, on a rare occasion when I opened the Stag's Leap, and, you know, when I was sitting there in the end, or, yeah, when I was just uh, recovering, let's put it that way, in a bed, thinking about life and pondering life, and, you know, I thought about celebrations, and I thought about that wine just sitting there, and what, you know, if I died, that wine would be, you know, what good is it sitting on the wine shelf, is what I'm trying to say, so, or on the wine rack. So, I decided that from now on, I'm just drinking Stag's Leap, so if you come over, it's actually today, we actually, my wife and I went for a physical, uh, so we had to do a lot of the sort of, uh, uh, what is it called, you know, the chemistries and some of the just assessments that you might go through, and we brought Stag's Leap for the entire office staff, because they, <laughs> they've been so good to us, and, and, and in the past, I have to admit, if we did bring a bottle of wine, it would probably have been a value brand uh, wine, uh, but we just live differently now. And, and we're not afraid to celebrate often and just enjoy the moment. So so that's how things have changed for us. It's, it seems like saying it seems like, oh, yeah, of course, everyone does that. Well, I didn't before, and, uh, but I do now sort of live in a different way. All right, so, Chris, back to you. So at Mayo, like, what's one thing perhaps that, that you will talk about a little bit in the book, have a change that you brought as a result of fighting cancer? Well, I'm going to cheat and, and sort of blend two. One is... Um, we had just gone live with a new electronic health record in Rochester six weeks before I was diagnosed with cancer. So I promised myself that I wanted to get something good out of this. A really good friend of mine had a child go through leukemia twice, and she taught me this lesson, which is find the gift of cancer. And my gift was I was going to live life with joy and I was going to be a better CIO. So I kept my eyes open for all the things that were broken around our implementation of our EHR. And I feel like I really saw a lot of stuff that otherwise you might miss, right? If you see someone fumbling in an aggravated way, how do we fix it? 
the thing that I discovered kind of more near the end of the journey and the, what I'm focused on now, I get two because I've got cancer twice, yeah. is um, uh, one of the things we're doing in our IT organization is to move us from being process-oriented to service and product-oriented, where, you know, processes are you're really good at something. In IT, that might be delivering a server or, you know, configuring a desktop or whatever it might be. But the combined set of processes together don't feel like a service. So I had an aggravating moment this last week. I couldn't get my chemotherapy scheduled. And the reason why is there was two processes that were colliding. One was you needed to have the oncologist approve the chemotherapy plan. And the other one was, you know, I wanted to get my stuff uh, scheduled. And it was a catch-22. So my oncologist and I talked about it this morning. How could we make this a better process and potentially break down these two perfect processes that are in place for clinical safety and excellence and cost management and all the rest. But my experience was aggravating. So I'm hoping I can find more process to service leaps. Yeah, so if, if Chris Ross, the executive at Mayo Clinic, runs into an aggravating experience in his cancer burger patient experience, imagine that's probably the norm for everyone. Yeah. And so, and, and Chris took the same tack that I did. We did not try to leverage our position or anything. We wanted the same experience as anyone else. And uh, we certainly got that. So for me, Chris, it was when uh, I came out of recovery. So it was a really long surgery. It was supposed to be about three hours long, but it had complications. So it ended up being closer to five hours. And no one communicated with my wife. Now my wife's a nurse, and she's a very assertive nurse. And so she was pounding the, the desk there, you know, the waiting area. Hey, what's the status? What's the status? And they really didn't know. And finally, I got into recovery, and she was supposed to be, come and visit me, and that's allowable for anyone. After a certain time in recovery, uh, you can visit with your loved ones before they take you up to your room. And uh, the nurse there was new. She wasn't aware of process protocol. My, my wife's freaking out. She did not allow my wife to come in. So what's my wife, the nurse, supposed to think is going on. Oh, wow, it must be really bad because the surgery was five hours and I can't visit him now that he's in a post-op. So uh, then they brought me to my room and they said, yeah, we moved into his room and they didn't know what room. Uh, and so now my wife, and she, if you meet her, she's the sweetest person, but she's a strong, strong person. And uh, she made it quite well known that what was happening is unacceptable. And we got to the, she got to the floor and they, she still didn't know. She just went up to the floor. She knew where the floor was going to be. She just went and she found me. They never told her where I was. And wow. I also started freaking out at that point. Uh, so no one was happy about it. Uh, we, we didn't want this nurse to get into trouble and the other people that made a mistake. But at the same time, we wanted it to be a learning experience. And so I took that and I, and I tried to make sure that we took the point of view, not just with the patient experience, which we already had a, a good focus on, but the family experience. Mm. So how do we account for the family experience and let the family more involved in what's going on? How do we enable better communications? And so we came up with some with some new things to enable communication with the family to be more transparent and direct. And and that was uh, that was one. And the other thing that we had going already, but we strengthened, is to always have a patient in any big project. So normally people do that already, right? We're all pretty educated on that. When we have a big something in our health system, big IT thing to include a patient perspective. And now they, I'm no longer there, but uh, 
when I was when I left, what we were doing is bringing in patients whenever we could. So we had a great patient experience office that we worked with, and they had a whole cohort of patients. And so I had patients helping us with our strategic plan. So wow, uh, it's things like that. Yeah, always have them really close. So that's a change that we made. So there's a ton more in the book, but Chris and I just wanted to give you sort of off the top of our head a couple different ideas about what are in there. And not everything will fit with every person, not everything will fit with every organization, but we'll give you enough to give you a lot to think about in order to make your organization better when it comes to patient experience and also for you as an individual, as a patient who might be listening to make sure that your journey is as frictionless, as seamless, as successful as possible. So that's, that's the why we wrote the book and those are some ideas about What's, what's included and some of the things that you might learn. So uh, we already talked about timing, Chris. So in terms of those who want to know, we started, this is, I'll put a timestamp here on the podcast because this one won't drop. So when you hear this, it'll drop the day that our public uh, PR press release goes out in terms of the book being announced. But we are in uh, around April 10th timeframe. So we're first third of April. And uh, we're working on the book already, Chris and I. So uh, we're working, as I said, with our publisher. And Chris mentioned uh, hymns. We plan to have it all ready. So I think by the end of the year, actually, Chris, we'll be done with our part. And it'll really be up to our, our publisher after that. So, uh, Chris, as we wind down here, any final words? We went through this really quick because we try to limit it to 30 minutes. But as we wind down the last minute or two, Chris, anything? that uh, we, else we want to share that's on your heart or anything about the book, the why, anything? You know, the only thing that I would say is, um, you know, it's a little bit of a tribe of folks who've been in this community. There's a reason why people put on the T-shirt and march together for um, disease research. And, Ed, it has been an honor and a pleasure, an unfortunate one, but to sojourn with you through this. And... I think there's a lot to be said for finding a buddy, a spotter, uh, a colleague. Um, there's a little bit of kind of foxhole wisdom and justice that mm-hmm. comes with having gone through this uh, kind of experience. So I would say to every anyone who's listening, um, you're in this journey with us as well, and uh, we'd be pleased to journey with you. Um, and I hope everyone can find someone to support uh, after they get to the end of this, because uh, everybody needs it. Yes. Great words of wisdom, and I love what you said in the beginning, Chris, about finding the gift in cancer. And if one, and we found many, and if, and one that we're doing together is this book. And, and again, it is a it is a gift that we are giving because uh, we have these experiences, and we think that as a result, it's given us greater insights into the patient journey and into how we might make health systems better. And again, all the proceeds. There's no personal benefit to either. Uh, all the proceeds will go to eradicating cancer uh, through uh, Mayo Clinic. So, Chris, thanks for being my guest on this bonus episode. Anytime, um, Ed, anytime. <laughs> like I said, Scott, we didn't choose this path, but the path is what it is, and we're making the absolute most of it. So thanks, everyone, and look for the book and news about the book soon. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. 
If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff, and we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.